It's not about having five stars and being perfect. I don't think any of us expect businesses to be perfect. Believe it or not, having all five-star business reviews is not always the most important metric for success. How do I know that? Because today I got to chat with Carolyn Jamison, the Chief Trust Officer at Trustpilot. Trustpilot is a consumer review website that's helping brands and consumers harness the power of feedback. And they get a lot of feedback. I'm talking every single second there's a new review that comes into Trustpilot. Carolyn sheds a lot of light on what consumers actually want from brands, and you can hear it all on today's episode. I'm Stephanie Postles, your host and the CEO of Mission.org, and this is Up Next in Commerce. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Carolyn, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to chat today. Me too, Stephanie. All right. So I would love, I was looking through your LinkedIn and you've had an interesting career path. And I wanted to kind of go back to the early days and hear about some of your maybe favorite early jobs that you had or any stories from there, just because you have kind of a windy journey that not everyone who joins the show has. (laughs) Of course, I have had a very windy journey. But actually, if I look back, if I'm honest, some of my favorite jobs are probably not on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, And I think it's my early uni jobs. I used to work in a nightclub on the door where I think I probably learned more than any other job about dealing with people and managing difficult issues. So that's probably one of my favorite jobs, actually, even though it wouldn't feature on LinkedIn. Oh, you should put it there. I would be your number one fan of that. (laughs) That's a good idea. Maybe I should. And then I have, I I had kind of a funny journey um, to where I am today. So my background is very much a legal background. And I started off originally as a barrister, qualified as a barrister, but I just found it slightly too traditional for me. And I wanted to go and work in-house, which people didn't do very much at that point. But I went in to work in-house and happened to fall into technology and have then always been in technology companies and have loved it. And I have been really lucky in that environment to get to work in all sorts of different companies from semiconductor and eventually here in the internet world. Skyscanner was really my first bigger job in that space, if you like. And I joined there very early on and was part of their growth journey, which was a real privilege. And I just ended up, because I was there so early on, taking on more and more of the business side of things. So the M&A side, public affairs as well as the, the legal background that I had in that, that more traditional work. And then when I joined Trustpilot, I've ended up really in a similar broad roles so with the communications team, public affairs, legal, and also the content integrity team. 
And we look at making sure that you can trust what you see on the platform, which I'm sure is something we'll talk about today. So tell me, for anyone who doesn't know, what is Trustpilot and you know what drew you to take a role there? Well, Trustpilot is um, a review platform at the moment at its essence. But really what we're striving to be is a universal symbol of trust. So that's our mission. What made me take the job at Trustpilot was really that purpose and mission, because I suppose I related to it quite a lot personally. You know, I had teenage daughters. I'd seen the perils of misinformation online and the manipulation that can go on and really what that can do to people. And I recognized in Trustpilot a real desire to help people understand what they see online and know what information they should be able to trust about businesses. So that's why I joined. But but what it essentially is, is a platform that's there to foster trust and improve collaboration between consumers and businesses. And we're different to other review platforms because we're an open platform. That's how we describe it. And what we mean by that is consumers can come and leave reviews at any time without having those reviews manipulated or only selectively displayed. And they also don't have to wait for an invitation from a business. And then we provide that platform for businesses to engage really holistically with people that have have had an experience with their business. And they can learn and collaborate with consumers for free uh, and then improve their business. And we all stand to benefit from that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can think about the amount of hmm, maybe a little sketchy websites that I've bought things from before that had really phenomenal reviews and then getting something and being like, okay, obviously all those reviews are false. So how do you combat that narrative knowing that consumers like me have you know, encountered probably many times seeing something have glowing reviews and then getting it and being like, that was definitely not the case. Like, how do you kind of reverse that idea that, hey, these reviews are actually legit. These are from real customers. I mean, I'm sure it's a big educational journey to get there. It is. And I think that's why this concept of being open is so important and why we believe in that so much. Because the way review platforms collect and businesses collect reviews is really different. But consumers don't always understand that. So when you look at reviews, Understanding how they've been collected is really important. But because we're open, anyone who wants to leave a review as a consumer can do so, provided they've had a genuine experience. So what you're seeing is much more holistic, whereas a lot of other review platforms allow businesses to either change the content of reviews or um, selectively display reviews. So only display the positive ones, for example, or selectively invite consumers so they can only invite consumers that they know have had a good experience. And then consumers like you going to look at reviews will get a warped view of things when they have their own experience. So that's how we try and change that up a bit so that you're having a much better experience on Trustpilot. What does it look like for companies who install this, you know, brands putting this on their website? Because I was reading before this interview just, I mean, how crucial reviews are and even how negative reviews can actually be okay as long as the brand's responding. And so After reading all that, I'm like, okay, every company needs to have something like this implemented. Even if you get some bad reviews, that still might help your sales. But what have you all seen on your end once a company comes in, you know, make sure they have proper reviews on their website that are actually legit. Like, what does it look like? I think we see businesses, businesses that engage well on the platform get an awful lot from it. They learn about consumers' views of how they're doing and where they're engaging. As you said, it's not about having five stars and being perfect. I don't think any of us expect businesses to be perfect. 
But what we do expect as consumers are businesses that, that we want them to care. We want them to care about how we're feeling and engage with us and look to improve. And then we're very forgiving about things. And we did a, a recent campaign called Helping Hands where we went out and spoke to lots of consumers. And this came through really strongly in their feedback. They really value that sense of being listened to. Yeah. So tell me, I saw a stat that said it takes 40 positive reviews to compensate for the impact of just one negative one. Have you heard that stat? Do you agree with it? Or is that too many? Because then I was like, man, that's kind of hard to get it. Okay. You're like, that's actually just false. I think I don't agree with that. And I I actually think as consumers, when you go on, unless you see a variety of reviews, you can be a bit skeptical about what you're seeing, actually. So I think people do expect to see a variety of feedback. Yeah. So as a brand, I mean, I hear of a lot of them, you know, trying to encourage reviews. Of course, they want to get their customers coming in. How do you make sure that those companies are still encouraging reviews, but not doing it in a way that is, you know, maybe only going after the people with the best experiences? Because I'm sure there can be a lot of biases when trying to develop a review program. So how do you work with a brand to make sure that they're getting, you know, the most authentic reviews instead of doing it the way that they always have? Of course. Um, Well, there are a number of ways that we do that, really. And it goes to the heart of how we detect fake reviews on the platform. So because of the volume of reviews that Trustpilot have, which slightly staggeringly is now a review per second, I believe, is currently where we're at. So that's the volume of data that we have. A lot of reviews. It's a lot of reviews. But what that gives us is a really solid database to show, to then use to train our models to understand what we would typically expect to see. And where we then see strange patterns. So for example, um, an abnormal response rate to invitations might be one thing we would see. Those anomalies would be flagged to us. Now we have an automated system that would, every review goes through that system and and it will remove things that look suspicious. But then on top of that, we have this anomaly detection technology and it will look for strange patterns. And then that will go to our investigations team who will perhaps go and contact consumers, ask them how they were invited to leave a review. And we will um, make sure that we investigate where we think there's anything suspicious there. And as a business, we don't allow, for example, businesses to use incentives to encourage consumers to leave. We won't allow that. Reviews should be genuine. They have to be based on a real experience. You can't use incentives as a business either. So that's that's really how, how we do that and how we manage it. I mean, I'm imagining some of these bad actor brands are innovating on the ways that they're doing these things to try and get around it. Have you, I mean, what are some of the craziest tactics you've seen around a company trying to, you know, get lots of fake reviews or whatever it may be to be able to game the systems? Well, I think, I mean, one of the common problems that you see in this space are review sellers, which is obviously a big, a big problem there. And they will go and advertise their services on other social media platforms and things like that. And detecting those review sellers can be really difficult because it's a bit, it's a bit of a whack-a-mole situation. So you'll, you know, if, we, if we see one of those being active on another social media platform, you have to go through the process of getting that taken down, which can take a bit of time. That's one technique that companies that want to do the wrong thing will do. We've actually got a great technology that we've we've developed there with a partner of ours where um, we look at behaviors of reviewers across the web, actually, so that we're able to join connections between businesses buying those fake reviews 
and the review sellers, and then we can take them out en masse so that so that at least they're off our platform. But we still need to get those taken down from other social media platforms as well. So that's one of the things that we see. The other thing, of course, is things like leaflets in packages and um, encouraging reviews that way. So it gets past any of the, de- the detection that we um, have that's technical. One of the things that we see, actually, we have a, um, a system where consumers and businesses, anybody, can come and flag reviews if they think they're suspicious and they're on the platform. And so we find that consumers are very active at doing that and will come and tell us if they've had experiences like that. And then we have a team that will go and investigate again. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. So I want to hear about some of the trends that you're seeing because, you know, you're getting a review a second. I'm sure you're able to kind of see how consumers are thinking this year versus previous years or, you know, maybe new patterns that are emerging. Is there anything you can share around, you know, some of the data behind the scenes that you're getting access to? I think what we have a really clear picture of is where consumers are spending money, what areas that they're particularly interested in. So during COVID, for example, a really good example of that was gardening. Gardening and garden furniture suddenly became really popular as people were stuck in their homes. So we see patterns there. The other thing that I think we see that's really interesting is reactions to media storms. So where there is a situation going on in the world, they will quite often, and this is where our fraud detection becomes very important, but we then see an impact on our own platform sometimes. So a good example of that was during COVID when people couldn't get um, a, P- a PS5, if you remember. They couldn't supply enough. Yes. And all of a sudden, yep, there was people coming to the Trustpilot platform to complain about this. And um, so we see a really strong correlation on our platform between some other issues that are going on in the world as well that people care about. So that's always interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you guys get to... Yeah, see a lot that probably is surprising depending on the day and, you know, what's happening in the environment. So exactly. So I know you guys also pull together a trust pilot transparency report. And I wanted to hear, you know, what is this report? What goes into it? Yeah, some details around that. Well, um, we pulled the report together, really. We did out we published our first report last year. And in all honesty, I wasn't sure how how much interest there would be in it. And I was blown away by how much interest and positive reaction we had to it. Our goal behind doing it was really just to be totally transparent about the way that we operated as a business. As we talked about before, there's review platforms operate in lots of different ways. And there isn't always enough understanding amongst consumers so they can be misled. So we wanted to try and help consumers understand how we did things and then 
hopefully that would help them distinguish between our reviews and other review platforms. Sometimes in the media as well, we were seeing there was a lot of misunderstanding about it as well. And we wanted to just be really transparent. So we published the first report and we had a really great reaction to it. And within it, we include things like details about how we detect fake reviews on the platform, um, the sorts of factors that we take into account as we look at reviews that are being reported. We also include a lot of statistics around how many reviews we remove, how much we do via automated technology versus people, those sorts of factors. And then this year, actually early May, we'll be producing the next report and then people will be able to see how we've improved and make sure that we are being held accountable, actually, for continually improving in this area, because it is a continuous improvement. You know, there's never a single silver bullet to solving the issues that go on. And we need to be continuously working towards improvement. And we want to show people that that's what we're doing. Yeah. So when you all are educating consumers, do you feel like that's the main driving force to then you know, now they have a new expectation with brands saying, hey, this is what I want to see on your website. Or are consumers perfectly fine just going to Trustpilot's site and looking at reviews there? That's an interesting or it's a great strategy. When I hear about that, I'm like, oh, your consumers basically are going to do your work and make sure the brands are, you know, using the best review site. But yeah, what does that look like for the brands? I think it is really important that consumers stand up for getting the right and relevant information you know, as a consumer that I don't want to go and see a review when half of the people that were were shopping there didn't get the opportunity to leave a review because I'm not getting a full picture. Yep. Consumers can be helped to understand the differences and then can make those demands. And brands will ultimately work with platforms that allow them to collect reviews in the right way. So I think it's definitely a force for good there. Mm-hmm. And consumers can really help to be part of that journey. Yeah. What about the world of B2B. I mean, we hear, you know, all the trends right now are saying that B2B and B2C are converging, all the expectations of, you know, whoever's behind the scenes buying, they're expecting the same when they're buying B2B versus B2C. So do you all see the same thing when it comes to reviews? Like are B2B buyers also expecting reviews? And, you know, are the trends there similar as in like everything's kind of converging for those consumers too? Because I'm thinking about, you know, the business users who are, you know, on a different kind of platform normally, and they're ordering maybe in bulk of something for their business. And normally the experiences were very, very different. Whereas like if you're a business buying from another business and like a bulk order, you have some old archaic system and then you would hop over to Amazon and one click and you instantly can order something really quickly. And so for a while there, you know, the user experiences were completely different and now the two are coming together. And so my thought was, okay, are these B2B consumers who now have higher expectations of, you know, their buying journey, are they also going onto these platforms and being like, well, now I need good reviews too, because I don't want to buy, you know, a thousand work boots or whatever it may be for my employees if I don't have actual reviews there from other business buyers. That's what I mean by maybe like thinking about if the two are converging, which in my mind, I would say yes, probably just because all other indicators point point to the, yeah, that being a yes, but I didn't know if you guys were seeing anything different. I I wouldn't say we're particularly seeing that yet, but I definitely think there's potential for it in future because, as you say, it would make sense. Um, And if I think about my time at Skyscanner, it certainly we saw the same thing there from a travel point of view. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're doing when you're booking corporate travel, you want the same experience as when you're booking travel when you go away with your family. And so expectations there were increasing. So I think we will see the same thing in the review space. I think we are 
perhaps slightly less mature, actually, as a market. So some of these things are still to come, I think, for us as well. So when thinking about Trustpilot, where do you all think you're headed over the coming years? I mean, is there anything that you're evolving towards or new things that you're taking on other than, you know, trying to take down all the bad actors, figure out the fake reviews? I mean, that's obviously like a very large job in and of itself. But is there anything um, extra that you're evolving towards right now? Definitely. I think our mission, as I said at the beginning, is to is to be a universal symbol of trust. And I think where we are going is really recognizing that a review is a single, we need to provide various trust signals to consumers. A review on its own isn't perhaps sufficient. Consumers may be interested in other bits of information about a business. And as consumers, I think we care about much more when we're engaging with businesses as well. So for example, we might care about their approach to sustainability. We might want to know if they're a small local business or a very large business because perhaps we prefer to buy local. So all these other factors and trust signals that we could share are things that we're thinking about right now and how we can provide that full picture. We have on our website at the moment um, a business transparency page, we, we call it, which includes information to help consumers understand about that business. So, for example, how they're inviting people to leave reviews, how many of those reviews are they challenging and trying to get taken down? How many of those reviews are they engaging with? So it's all these different signals that we can make judgments about as consumers when we go and look at the businesses. And I think we'd like to broaden the set of trust signals that we provide, but in a way that's really digestible for people as well. So that's what we're thinking about currently. So what's keeping you up at night? What's keeping me up at night, but is also from an excitement and a positivity point of view as well, I think, is all the focus that we currently see from regulators in different markets in this space. I am really pleased to see the focus because I think as an area, there are, as we've talked about, there are lots of review platforms who aren't being open about the way that they're collecting reviews for businesses. And it's really important that consumers understand what they're looking at. And I'm pleased to see the attention that that that's now getting. But we're also seeing regulators with a lot of focus about the responsibility of online platforms and, and where that should should lie and, and you know where what you should be doing to make sure that you're taking that responsibility. I think it's really exciting. And it's certainly I love areas where there's new policy developing and things like that. So I think it's fascinating, but also something that I'm watching closely and is slightly keeping me up at night because obviously um operationally I need to be trying to think ahead and make sure that we're in the right place when these things come to pass which I'm sure they will in time yep yeah I'm sure anything with uh yeah policy and regulation I'm sure could keep anyone up at night so but I'm sure it's headed in the right direction (laughs) exactly all right well we're gonna shift over to the lightning round the lightning round is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer are you ready oh gosh okay all right. Yes, I didn't know about this, but yes. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You'll do great. What's up next on your reading list? Um, it is actually, I love historical fiction. So the next book that I'm reading is a book around Georgian London. Okay, cool. That sounds great. Yeah. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be? Oh gosh, that's a really tough one. Actually, I would love a podcast that is related to um, women in technology, which I know there are probably loads of podcasts related to that. But I would invite Jane Sun, who was the 
CEO at Sea Trip when I was there because I always found her incredibly inspirational. Oh, I love that. Hey, you can always have more of those kind of podcasts, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> What's a favorite piece of technology that you're most excited about right now? Um, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm most excited because it's not a particularly new piece of technology, but I love my Apple Watch. And the reason I love it is that when I'm traveling for work, which I have to do a lot, I can see pictures of my kids when I'm in yeah. meetings and they flag if that's actually all I use it for, but I love it because Aww. it makes me feel like they're with me. Oh, I love that. That's the best use of an Apple watch I've ever heard. So I think I might have to think about getting one just because of that. <laughs> love that. Yeah. <laughs> What's something that you don't understand today, but you wish you did? I wish I understood economics more because I, when I've had to deal with it in issues, so I've done a few competition related issues and economics has been at the heart of them as I've seen issues being debated. And I've realized how fascinating and interesting it is. And when I was at school, it just sounded scary. And I thought it was numbers more than it is. And it's not. Yeah. So I wish I knew more about that and could go back and do it. I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I was on the fence about economics. I took a couple of classes and I was like, huh, I don't know. I know this is something you should know. I'm just not sure if I'm interested. Now looking back, I'm like, probably should have been more interested. That's actually a good thing to know. It's fascinating when you see it applied in these kind of competition disputes and things. It's amazing to see how they position it. But yeah, I have to check some of those out. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for jumping on the show today. It was a pleasure. Where can people learn more about you and what you're doing at Trustpilot? Um, definitely, please read the, the next Transparency Report when we publish that in May. Um, and you can read a lot more there. And also there's plenty if you Google it and have a look at us online as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, Carolyn. Thank you. Thanks. It's lovely to speak to you. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.